Blog Talk Radio. Welcome. Uh, this is uh, John Wadsworth with Relationship Recovery Radio, and uh, we are live at DJ's Coffee Shop in Slidell, off of Airport Road, Slidell, Louisiana. And today's November 17, 2009, and I am with a lovely lady by the name of Amanda Matsky and her handsome and talented son. Uh, his name's Anthony Matsky. He's 13 years old, and we're going to be uh, talking to them this morning about their experience with the Christ- their Christian walk and how they became a Christian. What are they doing since they are Christians? And Amanda's going to uh, begin by giving us her testimony, and I'll probably butt in and ask her questions while she's giving it. Uh, hello, Amanda, and please uh, feel free to say what you want and then give us your testimony. Okay, well, thank you so much for having me here and um, giving me the opportunity to give my testimony. Um, I hope this, you know, is able to change lives. And um, Well, I um, don't really know where to start, but I guess uh, I'll start at the very beginning. Um, <laughs> I, was, um, I was raised in a Christian home by very loving parents. Who, um, they had me at church every Sunday, and at 12 years old, I began to help out in the children's Sunday school. Uh, doing puppets, you know, handing out candy, stuff like that. Um, I could tell you every Bible story by heart and how to apply it to your life and everything. I mean, I was very active, um, but, you know, my heart wasn't in it. Um, I began to hang out with some kids who weren't Christians, and uh, I fell very deeply into secular music and all the the seduction and worldliness that comes with it. you know, I was a skinny little girl with red hair and freckles. <laughs> and so uh, I really didn't fit in with all the other girls. You know, I was not the, um, the beautiful, you know, girl that all the guys, like, thought was really pretty and everything. And um, after being rejected enough, uh, my craving to be accepted overruled my desire to be innocent. And so uh, by the time I was 15, I had um, definitely left that little redhead far behind and, um I was finally the girl that everybody wanted at their party. I just, you know, started dressing like everybody else and acting like everybody else. And um, the world that I had chosen, it seemed to be girls, boyfriends and girlfriends way too much. Every single one of their movies is like that. All their sitcoms are like that, and these young teenagers are like 15 years old. And it's just crazy. All they're focused on is getting a boyfriend or getting a girlfriend. And that's where it starts. Right. And um, you get wrapped up in all that, you just end up, losing your identity, really, that's really what happened to me, you know, I was young, I was at that age where you're trying to figure out who you are, you know, and, but you, I constantly had a boyfriend, always, and so I never really figured out who I was, I just automatically took on the identity of whatever guy I was with, you know, and just acted like him, or, you know, stuff like that, so. And the Disney, the Disney, the, the, uh, the reason that you're against Disney so much is because it, it promotes itself as a family, uh, and, and innocent type of uh, movie or, or, or program or approach to and so it's very deceptive oh, very. And, that, and that's why uh, the, the negative uh, negativity that you have toward and, and of course I agree with you yeah and so you took on the um, uh, personality or you tried to get along with whoever uh, whatever boyfriend that you were dating or whatever to be accepted. Right, right, okay. that's what I did. Um, I had a lot of friends, you know, my parents thought were 
good friends because their parents were Christians. Uh-huh. And so um, my parents, you know, I was the firstborn. You know, I have a younger sister who's seven years younger than me. Um, so they, you know, they, you don't know what you're doing with your firstborn, really. You know, you just kind of wing it, you know. And so, uh, but I think they just believed that because they raised me, you know, in church and on the Word of God, that I would just be fine. And there'd be, you know, and now sometimes that happens. You know, that works out great. And but they never like um, sat me down and said, okay, so how how are you doing? You know, uh, what friends do you have now? You know, what are you doing this weekend? Stuff like that. So they didn't get like on a personal level with me once I hit about 13, 14. And, um, you know, years later, my dad told me, you know, once I started growing up, you know, in a lot of ways and I wasn't his little girl anymore, he didn't really know how to relate to me. So instead of trying to figure that out, he backed up, which, you know, he regretted, you know, but um, so I went and tried to find that acceptance or, you know, from guys, you know, because I didn't really have it from my dad. It's not that he didn't, you know, love me or anything. I mean, I knew my parents loved me very much, you know, but there was no personal, you know, one-on-one relation. I always vowed, you know, when I had kids one day, my kids are going to know they can come to me with anything. They can talk to me about everything. I want to know everything. And there's not going to be anything hidden between my kids and me, ever. So So, what would you recommend to a parent that has a child that is a teenager? And uh, and how would... uh, you recommend to a parent that maybe thinks like your dad thinks. I think there's a lot of Christian parents that do that. How would you, uh, what would you recommend to them? Well, you, you have to understand your children are not, you know, saved because of you, you know, and they're not going to take on what you believe just because you believe it and, you know, just because you brought them to church and showed them all that. It's a personal encounter with Jesus Christ is what they have to experience one day. And, um, until that happens or, and after that happens and everything, you need to stay very, very involved with your kids. Just constantly ask them what's going on. If they do have a cell phone, which I like to say that I don't think any kid should have a cell phone until they're either driving or working. There's no reason to have a cell phone. <laughs> that's, just, that's what I think. So, um, that's good. But when they have one, you know, I mean, you need to be able to, I tell Anthony that all the time. When you get a cell phone one day, I can pick up that phone anytime I want to. I can, I can view all your friends. I can call any of them if I want to and say, hey, you know, how are you doing? You know, did you and Anthony really go to a movie Saturday? You know, I'm going to just be very, very involved with your kids. If your kids know that you're constantly, you know, in their life, they're gonna, when they get older, they're really going to thank you for that, you know, because you were on a personal level with them. You know, you didn't, I mean, I know you're their parent first, you know, and then their friend, but you have to have some kind of element of friendship with your kids, you know, or they're going to go and find other friends, you know, and try to get advice from their friends, and teenagers can't give teenagers advice. There's not much wisdom in that, so. I'm going to ask you a broad question here. You're, are you in your 20s or in your 30s? I'm in my early 30s. Okay, okay. <laughs> early 30s. Yes. Okay. And uh, now, how would you... Uh, what would you tell a teenager uh, that knows their parent is not involved, wants their parent to be involved, and what would you recommend to them? Well, I would, um, I would tell them just to try their best to reach out to their parents, because a lot of the times if your parents are Christians, and sometimes when they're not, the parent wants to be closer to you but doesn't know how, and that was my dad's you know, issue. He really didn't know how to get close to me. And so he just didn't try. He stopped trying because I guess he got intimidated, you know, by me. And so um, if you start reaching out to your parents, though, more than likely they'll break down and they'll, you know, start reaching out to you. And then you guys can get close. 
But, you know, a lot of teenagers out there don't even have parents anymore. They have one. You know, there's a lot of broken families out there, a lot of that. And if your parents aren't Christians, you know, and you have become a Christian recently or, you know, you got saved a while back or whatever, find another mentor, another adult in your life, you know, that you can confide in and you can go to and have them pray for you and stuff like that. And it doesn't mean replace them, you know, with your parents, but everybody needs that. You need somebody over you. You know, I, I, um, I ended up having that later on, you know, but my parents just weren't, they were my parents, but they weren't really much more than that until years later. Okay. Uh, okay, so uh, let's uh, go back to your testimony. I want to ask Anthony something, but about, well, let me ask you now. I say, so I'll forget. Yeah. <laughs> Taking my cholesterol medicine, I'll forget. Uh, what would you recommend a young person like yourself uh, to another young person? Uh, how would, uh, and they want their parent, parents or parents to be involved in their life. What would you recommend to them? Get involved in your parents' life. How? Go and ask them if they want to do something with you or even if you don't happen to be very fond of the things that they like to do, you can go and do that with them and spend time with them and that'll make them feel, feel special. Okay. And what would you recommend to a parent? Just it's obvious, but go ahead. Do the same thing. Okay. Okay. Get involved with your child. What would you uh, recommend to a, and I guess, the, what about a parent, a child, uh, somebody your age, uh, and their parents are not Christians? Uh, they might be pretty well out there. I would say the same thing than just going and finding her, someone that's unsaved from off the street. Just try to witness them and be a light and be a voice as much as you possibly can. Okay, so you don't have any religious confinements then, do you, by a certain denomination, do you? That's great. Yeah, praise the Lord for that. You said no, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Not on video. And, and, and Anthony has a great video, and I'm going to say it now. It's on YouTube. It's under Lisa's Challenge. Leah's. Leah's. Okay. All right, Leah's Challenge. That's L-I-A apostrophe S, challenge. And you scroll down there, as we just did, and it's be a voice. And you'll see Anthony, Anthony Matsky, as he gives a uh, testimony uh, of his uh, existence because uh, of his mother's choice uh, not to uh, get an abortion. So, and... Uh, and so, Lisa, how's, uh, can you give us more of your testimony where you left off? And okay. Um, yeah, by the, uh, I think I said by the time I was 15, I was definitely not the little um, shy girl anymore, you know, that nobody talked to. I just, uh, you know, after being rejected so much, <clears throat> I really, really did a good job of looking into the world and really finding out what the perfect girl was, at least what I thought the perfect girl was and what the world said the perfect girl was. And so, How'd you um, do that? You know, you just, it's the magazines that are out there, it's everything, you know, media, Hollywood, all that stuff, you know, if you're skinny, if, you know, all that different stuff, that's, that's what guys look for, and that's, you know, and that's what I wanted to be, because I wanted to be accepted by everybody, okay. so that's what I did. Um, uh, let's see, um, you know, like I said before, it seems wonderful, you know, and you're happy and everything, but Satan is very good at that, you know, he, he comes in little by little, and you don't 
you, then you, all of a sudden you wake up one morning and you see where you're at and you're like, how did I get here? You know, kind of like a, a drug addict. You know, if somebody just walks up to you on the street, you've never done drugs before, and they say, here, do you want some cocaine? You're going to go, no, <laughs> and you're going to walk away. But if you start doing marijuana a little bit here, a little bit there, you know, then you try this, then you try that, one day you're going to end up in a rehab hooked on everything. And you're going to be like, how did I get here? You got there slowly. You know, Satan's very smart, and I don't think people give him the credit. You know, really. I mean, Satan's been around since the beginning of the world, <laughs> and I think he knows a whole lot more than we do, you know, and he knows how to get to people, you know, in certain ways. So he, um, you know, he played on me with the whole, you know, being attractive thing and everything, and that's what he did with me. So you, so. would you say that, I'm uh, just, would you say that you were addicted to being accepted? Yes. To being attractive? Definitely. And, uh, to men? Yes, definitely. So you were, that was your... Right. Okay. Right. And, and see, what I didn't realize at the time, too, you know, I mean, a guy thinks you're pretty and all that. Well, I thought, wow, he really likes me. Most of the guys that thought I was beautiful, they didn't want to know who I was at all. You know, guys are just, you know, guys who do not know the Lord, they're not saved. They're, that's what they're after, most of them. You yeah. know, they just, they, they don't really want to get to know you. I know a few that know the Lord. And so, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true. But, you know, I... I accepted, you know, the lie. I bought into that just like so many millions more teenage girls out there and it breaks my heart. I see a lot of them out there and on Facebook and, you know, stuff like that and they're just, you know, they don't understand why this guy broke up with him again and this guy, you know, said they loved him and all this and these girls are like 15 and 16 and I'm like, the guy doesn't love, the guy doesn't even know what love is. You know, you're just buying into the, you know, the deception that's out there. There's so many girls that bought into it, but, um, but it got, you know, it got worse for me. Um, by the time I was 17, um, I had been uh, raped twice, once by my boyfriend's friend at a party. I was about 16 years old. And then a, 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 again by an ex-boyfriend that took me out one day. So, you know, I'm not in millions of girls out there that's happened to too, you know, and it really tears you up. I mean, I had no self-esteem really in the first place, you know, and when that happens, it really, it really, messes up who you think you are. You know, to me, I wasn't worth anything, apparently. You know, and that's uh, the, the place where the enemy really wanted to, to bring me, where I felt like I wasn't worth anything at all. You know, so I was... Um, Did you report these? No, I okay. didn't. You know, because, you know, I was young, and my friends said, oh, don't even worry, you know, don't bother, because, you know, I don't know, they'll... I had friends that, you know, guy friends that, went, you know, wanted to go beat them up, you know, stuff like that. And so to me, as a teenager, I'm like, well, there you go, that's my revenge, you know, <laughs> or whatever. But, you know, I was young, and, and again, I couldn't go tell my parents. We didn't, you know, two, two of the times that, you know, the times that it happened, I was someplace I, I didn't even know I was there. So I guess I felt like, you know, I can't tell them that, then they'd know I was at that party or, you know, whatever. So, I mean, I was the biggest liar, biggest manipulator in the world. I could make them believe anything because they were just very, I think they were just in denial that their daughter was doing all this stuff. They started hearing stuff too, like we saw your daughter here, we saw you, and they were like, no, it couldn't be her. They just did not want to believe that it was me, you know, but um, when I was 17, I mean, I was smoking two packs of cigarettes a day, I was getting drunk every, every chance I got, you know, that's what I was doing. My, my life was so empty, it was just so empty, but this was the life that I wanted, you know, that I thought I wanted, you know, years ago, because all my other friends were doing all this, and I was finally there, you know, and I was the life of the party, and everybody would call me all the time, and we're having a party, you need to be there, and, and all this stuff, and so I was so miserable, just 
because I couldn't find satisfaction in anything, nothing. And I couldn't understand why, you know, because I thought I was living the life, <laughs> you know. So, but I ran away twice when I was 17, you know, moved in with boyfriends, stuff like that. And um, by the end of that year, I mean, I, I weighed like 82 pounds, 83 pounds. All I did was drink. You know, it's like um, I dip into some drugs, you know, not anything major, you know, but just did some drugs here and there at parties because boyfriends were doing them or whatever. And I was just so, oh, my gosh, the end of 95 is a blur. Like the last two, three months of, is just a total blur. I don't even remember bits and pieces. It was just gone. And um, the beginning part of that year, it was just a, a, a brick, you know, over my head. I took a pregnancy test and ended up pregnant. And that scared me to death. It blew me away. I was like, what am I going to do? I can't even handle my own life. You know, how am I going to take care of another life? And it really scared me. And I, I really didn't know what to do because I didn't think it would ever happen to me. And that's what I think a lot of teenagers out there, they never think it'll happen to them. And then it does. And you're like, whoa, <laughs> this wasn't supposed to happen to me. But, you know, when you think logically, well, I mean, you were sleeping around. You were, you know, why wouldn't it happen to you? So, but at the time, you're not thinking that. You're very, you're very messed up. You're very into your lifestyle, and you just, I guess, you feel invincible. But were you, uh, the, the, the theme today, or the, uh, what they propose today is to safe sex. There's no such thing as safe sex. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Well, why do you say that? Because, um, well, first of all, emotionally, there's no such thing as safe sex, because you sleep with someone, you are bonded with that person. It's just you are. And it's there, when you break up with that person, it's like a piece of you goes with that person. It doesn't matter if you were with them for two months or two years or whatever. It doesn't matter. And so emotionally, it's very hard. So that's not safe. It's very damaging to your heart and your perception of what love is and everything. I mean, that really messes people up over the course of years. I mean, physically, there's just no, I, I can't tell you how many friends that have gotten pregnant on birth control. That, I mean, condoms don't prevent pregnancy, not at all. <laughs> so there's really, physically, there's no such thing as safe sex. The only thing that I recommend is abstinence. <laughs> so, Say a little bit louder. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, the only thing I recommend is abstinence, right. definitely. Right, right. Uh, and, and, yeah, so, okay, so even if there is, it's, now, did you think that there was no such thing as safe sex or just didn't care about it when you was that age or how would what was your thinking? I don't. I really didn't care. I, I, I think I thought that it would never happen to me. That kind okay. of thing. Yeah, I just figured, you know, I don't know. I was going to live my life, and it happens to everybody else, and it wasn't going to happen to me. Yeah, it happened to so and so because she got a dark cloud over her. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. So you're pregnant and uh, mm -hmm. can't take care of yourself, and how in the world are you going to take care of this baby? Right. I. <laughs> It, it was a very, very, um, very confusing, very hard, you know, time in my life. I just, I didn't know what to do because it's like what I said before. You wake up one morning and you're like, how in the world did I get here? Because, I, I mean, I hardly weighed anything at all. You know, we couldn't afford, I was living with a friend of mine at the time, we couldn't afford, like, a whole lot of food a whole lot of the time. She had a two-year-old, and so we would just, I mean, all of our money went to alcohol. That's all we did every night. So, um... I didn't know what I was going to do. And, you know, the hard part, too, you know, I, I didn't care what hellish nightmare I put my parents through. I didn't care at that point. I mean, deep down, I still love them, but I, I didn't care. 
that, you know, I wasn't living at home. My mom, I mean, she would pace the floors every night and just cry out for me. You know, she would, um, you know, bind the enemy, you know, and say, you can't have my daughter. She doesn't belong to you, and I will, you know, have her back, you know, and stuff like that. And she never gave up. Mm-hmm. And um, neither my mom or my dad, they never gave up. You know, I really believe that they wouldn't have been praying for me. I may not have made it, you know, and I'd like to encourage, you know, parents that are out there, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, your teenager's been gone for 10 years, you know, or whatever. Don't stop praying for your kids because prayer is extremely powerful. And they will come around. I mean, that's a promise in the Word of God. If you raise up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. And, you know, there were nights where I would just be drunk, just completely drunk, totally stoned. And uh, one night in particular, I thought I was going to die. I was like, I'm going to die tonight. I know I'm going to die. I just felt like I was going to die. I had taken so many drugs that night. I was so drunk. I was in and out of conscience. I was going to die. And it's really weird. A scripture verse came from my head. Um, a scripture verse that was spoken over me when I was like 13 years old. Uh, Jesse Duplantis came to our church and actually prophesied over me. And uh, he prophesied the scripture, um, Philippians 1.6. Um, I will complete the work begun in you. And I remember thinking that verse and going, oh, wait, I'm not going to die because God's not done yet. And it's the weirdest, you know, thing. And you were drunk, spaced out. Totally. And totally. And the scripture verse came to yep. you. Yep. And I really believe my parents were praying that night. They had to have been praying. And you, you know? believed that scripture? Oh, yeah. I believed it. Because, you know, I was still, I was raised on the word of God. No matter where I was then, I was raised on the word of God. And it, it would come back to me. <clears throat> here and there, and so I'll, I'll never forget that night. You know, I really believed I died on the bathroom floor that night because I remember crawling to the bathroom. I remember just throwing up for hours. You know, I remember passing out. And when I came to, I remember taking a really, really deep breath, and I was freezing. And years later, you know, I really feel like the Lord revealed to me that I died that night, and He brought me back. And I know my parents were praying. I just know, because I just I don't think I, I don't, you know, God wasn't done. He just wasn't finished. Well, you said something is, uh, you said you didn't care about what, what your parents thought or whatever. What did, who did you, was there anybody you cared for? No, because I felt like nobody cared about me. You know, everybody pretty much used me for whatever, you know, friends stabbed me in the back, you know, would steal boyfriends, you know, it's just, that's the world, it's like a soap opera. <laughs> so, I didn't think anybody cared about me, so... So what happened after Philippians 1-6 came to your mind? I just remember, it, that was before I crawled to the bathroom, you know, but I, I just really, I knew I wasn't going to die. That, that was all. You know, it just helped me to realize I'm not going to die that night. And so I actually had the strength to get up and crawl to the bathroom. So, mm. I mean, I don't know. I exactly. don't know what would have happened, yeah. you know. So what happened next in your life? Um, well, I found out, um, you know, I was pregnant and everything, and, um, I didn't know where to go, you know, I didn't know what to do, um, and automatically I thought of Miss Cindy Collins. You know, I hadn't talked to her in years. Uh, she's the director of the Crisis Parents Health Center in Slidell, and um, she had a group called Passion for Purity, you know, and uh, I had gone to it a couple times when I was a younger teenager, and just a group of teenagers, young adults that would get together, they love the Lord, and they just had a passion for uh, just having purity as a lifestyle, you know, and they just, it was awesome group in uh, you know, when I was younger, I thought it was kind of silly, you know, and I didn't want to be a part of it because I thought, you know, how can, you know, these kids believe in abstinence and all that, you know, because I was so into everything else in the world, so, um, but at that moment, I thought it was Cindy, 
And I thought, I need to go to the crisis pregnancy health center because I know that she'll help me. And so I walked to the door to the center, and she was actually there that day. And uh, she saw me personally, and she brought me back there. And um, I said, you know, Miss Cindy, I said, I need help. I said, I'm pregnant, and abortion is not an option. And that's one thing that I did hold on to, you know, all through. I knew abortion was wrong. I just knew. It was murder. I had seen the photos. I had gone, you know, to all the rescues with my parents in New Orleans and, you know, when I was a little kid. I mean, I knew abortion was wrong. I was educated on it a whole lot. And um, she said, well, she says, well, I'm going to help you through this. And so she really helped me through my pregnancy. And she was there for me when my parents, you know, really weren't. You know, I called them a couple weeks after that, and I told my parents, you know, there was a lot of anger, you know, a lot of, very upset, very resentful, you know, bitter, and there's a lot of stuff in there, and um, a lot of healing that had to happen. Um, I ended up moving home when I was about two months pregnant, two and a half months pregnant. You know, I got on my knees in front of my dad one day at the house, and I said, please don't make me go back, and I started crying, and um, they decided to have me come home again, and uh, I know God did that, because actually my mom told me years later that when they were praying about it, the Lord told them, you need to accept her back in her house, because if you don't accept her back, she'll die, and so this is where I was living in my lifestyle, I would have died, so they uh, accepted me back home, and I spent my whole pregnancy there, you know, and um, Patty Anthony had my son in 1996, in September, and um, it really did change my life at that point in a lot of ways because I realized I now have a life. You know, now I wasn't a Christian again yet. You know, I hadn't given my life back to Christ or anything like that, and I just, but I had grown up like 10 years, you know, in my pregnancy. You know, you you just do. You realize, exactly, (laughs) definitely. And I cut off all friendships, everything from my past, you know, and so I was basically just alone again you know, living with my parents, and um, I had my son, and he was healthy, and and everything, and I was glad I had him, and I didn't know what to do next, <laughs> but uh, but I had a son, and so um, I started going to church at my parents again, but I wasn't really... Well, where did they go to church? Living Word. Living yep, Word. Yep, in Lacombe, the okay. same church I've been going there since I was like seven. <laughs> so a lot of the people that go there in my past, I mean, they were praying for me, and my parents, and everything, through this whole thing. Now, when did you, you said you... Uh, when did you first get uh, get saved? I, I, I think that's what you said. Yeah, I, I believe that I, I got saved when I was probably around 15. I, I was going to New Jerusalem, Praising Worship Center in Slidell, and their youth group was really big. And um, so I, was, I started getting very active in that. You know, I had already, you know, lost my virginity. I was messed up, you know, with a lot of friends. But I saw these kids, and a lot of them, to me, seemed like real Christians, and I wanted to try to, you know, get my life straight and then for about a year there I really was trying to be you know I was living for the Lord at least I felt like I went on a missions trip to Mexico and I I, um, I sang a couple songs there I've always I love to sing and uh, um, I would sing and I would do stuff like that and I really believe that I had a relationship with Jesus because I would talk to him every night I felt his presence you know in my life I mean I was a Christian and um, when did you when did you become a Christian you said you were 15 years old. Was there a, uh, an experience that you remember that uh, a turning point or whatever? Uh, when do you know that you know that you became a Christian? I when 15 years old around that. Yeah, I, I just I can't really pinpoint a time where I went to an. I know it was probably at a youth meeting and I went to the altar. Okay. You know, and yeah, that's probably what happened. 
it was a long time ago, but I know that I was starting to change though because other people could see it. You know, I could feel it in my life. There wasn't so much of a pull to the world because I was in my word. I was reading the word of God and I had Christian friends and stuff like that. So I knew I had changed. But the, the pull was still there. There was a small pull of the world. There was always going to be a pull. And um, after a while, I came back from that missions trip. Everything seemed, you know, wonderful. But a lot of the friends that I had in that youth group, I, you know, I start, when I started hanging out with them a little more, I realized, well, they were, you know, doing some of the things that I used to do. And it kind of really made me cold to... Disillusion. Right, very much. I mean, I thought they're all hypocrites. You know, is this really real at all? And that really sent me over the edge. I think I just completely turned my back on Christianity, and I thought, well, it can't possibly be real. I'm seeing too much of the world in here. And so I fell, you know, head so first you, into the world <laughs> after that. Well, yeah. So you're around 16, 15, 16 years old. Right. Okay. Okay. And so now uh, we're uh, a few years later, and you have a child, you have a son, you have and it matured you 10, 10 years, mm -hmm. and, and what happened next? Well, um, <clears throat> well, right after I had him, you know, my, I, like I said, I wasn't a Christian, you know, again yet, so I really, I started making bad choices again, and it just, I fell right back into the world, right back where I was before. And this time I had, a, you know, I had another thing in my head, well, I have to find a dad for my child. You know, I have to. So I'm going to go out and start dating again and, you know, try to get, but the problem was I had no foundation to stand on. You know, I wasn't strong enough. I didn't even know who I was yet. I hadn't given my life to the Lord, so he hadn't been able to really build an identity in me, you know, at all. So I really, it was very easy for me to fall right back into the world. So you went back to the old way of, yep. went back to the old locker of being accepted. Yep. And that, your old addiction. Right. You recycled through. Yep. You recycled. I did. And what happened? Well, um, I lived like that for about two years. And <clears throat> I remember, he, yeah, he was almost two years old. And me and my mom had recently gone through like a healing, really. I mean, we had been talking a lot more and stuff like that. And so it was little things. I started going to church. And like for the first Sunday in a long time, I actually heard the music, and I know it's because my parents were still, you know, they were praying. They never gave up praying for me, and so little things like that started to pull me. The Lord was pulling me, him, pulling me in personally. Right. That's what He was doing. My um, my parents for years would try to get me to go to church, or they'd make me go, yeah. and all that. Well, you can't, you know, you can't make somebody change. You can't do it unless they want to. They're not going to change. And like uh, again, back to a drug addict, you can't. You can bring them the rehab 15 million times, but if they don't walk themselves in and want to change, they're never going to get clean. Right. You know, it's got to be a personal decision. And so, um, I had uh, hooked up with another guy that I used to know a long time ago, and um, my parents found this note that I had written to him, which you know is God. You know, because it accidentally fell out my purse. Stuff like that. You know, it revealed a lot of the stuff that I had been doing. You know, I had been sleeping with him again, stuff like that. And so they sat me down one day, and they said, look, we're really struggling over this, but you can't live like this under our roof. You can live any way you want. You're an adult now. You know, I was 18 at this point, you know, 19. They said, you can live any way you want, but if you're going to live like this, you need to leave. We have another daughter, and we can't, we can't have you live like this. Now, I knew they were serious because when I was going through all that stuff and I ran away from home and all that, they wouldn't allow me to come back home. They didn't want me to come back home because I was not living right. And it was tough love. And there were a lot of 
uh, other people that my parents knew that actually criticized them for treating me the way that they did. But they would not give me any money. They would not allow me back into their home. And every now and then, I would call and I'd say, I'm still hungry. I haven't eaten, you know, in like four or five days. They would go and buy me some food, you know, or, or invite me to dinner or something like that. But it wasn't very often. And they, they, they had to let go of me in order for God to take over. And it took my mom a while to realize that because she kept, you know, she kept, she would call me. The first time I ran away, she'd call me all the time. When are you going to come home? She'd be crying, you know. Please come home. I'm really worried about you and all that. Well, that put up a bigger wall. Right. I didn't want to, you know, the phone would ring and I'd ignore it. You know, I didn't want to talk to her. And so she was pushing me farther away, thinking that she was helping. And finally the Lord told her, you've got to let her go. If you don't let her go, I'm never going to be able to grab onto her heart. And so that's what she did. When she finally let go, that's when I started coming around. And so, you know, the prodigal son in uh, Luke, uh, the father didn't, never did go down to the pig pen and right. take his son out That's eat. right, I know. And uh, <laughs> he let him eat slop. Mm -hmm. And I think that's tough for a parent, but that that's, has to happen. Oh, yeah. Has to happen. So the Lord started bringing you back. You started uh, fellowshipping with your mother again. Y'all started uh, getting stronger, stronger relationship. And uh, you noticed that the Lord was bringing you to Him. Right, yeah. right. And so uh, one night, um, I just, I thought of passion for purity, just out of nowhere. And I was like, you know, maybe I should go visit. You know, hadn't been there in a while, let me just go see. And I knew they met every Thursday night. It was just without fail. I knew where they met and stuff like that. So I asked my parents one night, can you watch Anthony? They didn't do that very often either. You know, I just, uh, when I was pregnant with Anthony, my mom came upstairs and she said, okay, if you decide to keep this child, you know, it was either adoption, you know, or keep this child, um, you're going to be the mom. We're not pacing floors with them. We're not doing, you are doing everything. You are going to be the mom. And I, again, I knew they were serious. <laughs> so my decision was a very important one, but I really felt like I wanted to keep my son. They was just, you know, and there's nothing wrong with adoption. It's awesome. It's wonderful. And I was in the perfect position where I could have gave him a, a, you know, a home with a mom and a dad and everything, and that would have been great. Yeah. You know, but for me personally, I felt like God had another plan for me and for my son. And so I kept him in, um, and I knew I was going to be the mom, so it was hard. I mean, I was working a full-time job, you know, after I had him and paying for his daycare and doing all that, and it was tough. I mean, I was young and trying to do it all by myself, and, um, but they washed him that night so I could go to Pasture Purity, and I remember walking in, and just the atmosphere blew me away. You know, I walked there in the middle of praise and worship, and these kids, it, they were young teenagers, you know, older, teenage, uh, young adults in their 20s and early 30s and everything, and they were... They were like, they were worshiping someone. And I remember it blew me away because it was something real. And I knew there was something real in this room. And I wanted to know what it was. And so I, I, I continued going, you know, and it didn't take very long. A couple months later, I mean, like, again, I can't pinpoint, you know, when I like fell on my knees and said, you know, I'm sorry. It's just this pull, you know, and all of a sudden I just realized this is what I need. It's an irresistible pull. It is. It is. It, it, was, okay. it was love. And all my life I had been searching for, you know, true love from a lot of different guys and stuff like that. But this was true love, and I could feel it, and I wanted to know what it was. Why you, why you call it true love? Because it's, there's, you know, there's the counterfeit love the world has to offer, and there's true love that comes from Jesus alone. Okay. And there's a big difference because the true love... You just know it's never going to fail you. 
It's unconditional. No matter what you do, what you say, or how many times you fall backwards, it's unconditional. It overrides your guilt. It does. Everything. Your shame. Everything. There was a lot of guilt and shame in my life. And I, I just, at first, you know, when I first started going to Pastor Purity again, I'm thinking, you know, if this is a bunch of pure people, I'm out. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm not even going to fit in here. But as I started going more and more and, and getting really close to a lot of the kids that were there, I realized these kids have, like, the same past as me. You know, a lot of them work, you know, and everything. And I just couldn't believe that God would take this group of people, you know, and, and say, I want that. You know, and um, the Lord revealed that to me, you know, that night, you know, I was on the floor in the bathroom and stuff like that. He looked down at that point in my life and said, I want her. She's going to do this and this and this for me. I want her. I love her. So he loves you in your worst sin, you know, and then he pulls you out of that. Because yeah. he sees you for who you were created to be, not for what you are right now. Right, right. And so, and so uh, you, at some time during these meetings that you went to every week at Passion for Purity, you rededicated your life to Christ. Yep. Uh, you surrendered to Christ uh, because of the fellowship that was there and it was honest and uh, they were worshiping a person. Right. Not a religious uh, uh, they weren't just putting on uh, a traditional ceremony. Right. Um, then what happened? Well, uh, me and Miss Cindy got real close, you know, and um, she challenged me one day. She said, you know, you need to give everything to the Lord. Because I was still, you know, maybe going to like some single Christian groups, you know, and stuff like that because I was hoping to meet a single Christian man. You know, I was still stuck on that, that I needed that in my life. And so she challenged me. She said, give Jesus a whole year. Just give him one year, you know. Now, you've messed up for 20 years, you know. <clears throat> give him one year of your life. Don't date anybody. Don't think about dating anybody. Just give him a whole year where you just let him, let yourself fall in love with him. And the concept was like fall in love with Jesus. It was kind of, you know, you fall in love with a guy. You don't fall in love with Jesus. But she really... She explained it to me, you know, really good, and she uh, told me to read Song of Solomon, you know, again, and realize that's God's heart towards us, and it's a love, it's a true love, and she said, once you recognize true love in Jesus, when you meet your husband one day, it'll be, without question, you'll know it's him, because, yeah, because you'll see the true love in your husband, and you'll know it's from the Lord, because you know what it is. But you got to allow yourself that time for Jesus to build that in you. So, and so she said, fall in love with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then she said, read the Song of Solomon mm -hmm. uh, to understand how Jesus loves you. Right. And how did you fall in love with Jesus? How did you practice that love? I, I spent time with him every day. I mean, I wake up in the morning talking to him, go to sleep talking to him. That's what I did. I, I just engulfed myself in the Word of God. Okay, so the medium was the Word of God right. by which you communicated to Jesus and right. vice versa. Exactly. Yeah. And so it was like uh, talking to uh, somebody, a, a friend on the oh, phone, yeah. a boyfriend on the phone. Let's right, say. right. Um, and so you, and you heard him speak to you and vice versa. Yeah. And uh, Cindy said a year. And in that year, uh, did you stay a year? Did you wait a year? Did you stay? I, yeah, it started to be a year, and by the time that year was over, I was so content and so happy in the place that God had me. I was so in love with Jesus. I was so happy to be a mom. 
you know, just doing what I was supposed to be doing. I, I didn't care anymore. And so I went three years, almost three and a half years of not dating anybody. But I wasn't interested. You know, like every night, I would still pray for my husband, of course. I would pray for him. I'd say, I know you have someone for me. Now, there were many nights where I had the doubt would try to come in. You know, maybe this isn't God's plan. Maybe I'm supposed to just be a mom and do ministry. You know, I don't know. But, pray for him like you need to pray for a new car. Right. <laughs> but I knew. There was just something in me that knew. You know, that there is somebody out there for me. God created somebody for me, and I'm, one day I'm going to meet him. And so I would just pray every night. And he was so cute because ever since he was two years old, he'd pray every night for a daddy. And it was just, it was great. It would just touch my heart. And I'd go to bed crying a lot just because, you know, I knew it was his heart. And I wanted that for him too. But because I allowed the Lord to build in me who I was, see, now I felt like I had an identity. All the emptiness was gone. I knew who I was. I was worth something. I was a jewel. I was so precious to the Lord. And um, I knew that, you know, Miss Cindy, what I was telling me, and the guy that gets you, you know, he's going to be one lucky man and stuff like that. And to hear that from somebody blew me away because, you know, in the past I felt like I was worth nothing. So to go to Jesus and find work was just priceless. Okay, so you found out you were worth. Now, I'm just, the Whitestone, I'll tell you a little bit about Whitestone ministry here. In Whitestone, we have, uh, let's say, uh, uh, aftercare or outpatient or a uh, follow-up uh, program that's three years. And and in that three years, it the focus is uh, a relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. It's the fulfillment of the first commandment, love God with your heart, mind, and soul. Just like what you, Cindy, what you're telling me, what Cindy told you to do for one year, uh, and it ended up three years, which is exactly what Whitestone uh, believes, that it takes three years mm-hmm. for this uh, ingrained new relationship mm-hmm. to really take place in a person's life and know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Just give you a little statistic. The first year of, of addiction, somebody that's coming out, they call it recovery, um, the recovery, let's say, they measured this or test or whatever, in five years, those that are in recovery, 85% of the people that are in recovery relapse within the first three years. 75% of the 85% relapse the first year. The first year is the hardest mm-hmm. to develop this new relationship of love with somebody that you can't touch, but right. you can develop it through um, your heart, which is exactly what's been abused mostly, like you were saying, um, uh, Paul, what were you talking about? Uh, yeah, preventive sex. Well, you can't, you can't prevent your heart being damaged. Or, or, right. Um, and so to develop this healing mm-hmm. of unconditional love for a year, that's exactly, exactly it. So you took Cindy's advice. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you take her advice? Because she had really become to me like another mom. She was my spiritual mom. And, you know, while me and my mom weren't really talking very much in that first year that I had Anthony, you know, because I was just so messed up and like I said, there was so much bitterness and anger there. But Cindy really took over that spot. And she, I really, I trusted her walk. She was very in love with the Lord and she loved youth. I mean, she, her heart was for this generation, and, and I knew that, and she um, had really been seeing a change in me, you know, and so um, she saw me struggling, and she pulled me aside that day and told me that. She challenged me to do a year, and once I decided to do that, it was almost automatically, it hadn't even been a couple weeks since I made that decision, I felt so free. Like, there, you know, I had made the right decision, and 
she really, you know, she said, I went from death to life, and you could see it. And if you ask anybody that was in my life at the time, when I had Anthony, and like compared to two years after that, when I really gave my heart to the Lord, you could see it all over me. Before I was like the walking dead, I'm like a zombie. You'd look in my eyes, there's nothing. It's just emptiness. And then all of a sudden, there's like life there. I had, I had turned back into the girl that I, you know, my parents knew that I always was. You know, that girl that was Which hidden you never in me. were, but exactly. they knew you could be. Exactly. And, and so um, Jesus brought that out, you know, and made me realize who I was in Christ and everything. And so I gave him, well, three years. <laughs> but uh, it wasn't, I mean, probably a couple months after I started doing that, Miss mm-hmm. Cindy called me one night and she said, you know, I'm going to speak to this uh, youth group. I think it was a youth group or a school or something. Um, it's about an hour and a half away. Would you like to come? And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I said, uh, that'll be good. You know, so I asked my parents and they said, sure. You know, we'll watch Anthony and you go ahead. So I remember going. <laughs> and those who know Cindy Collins, she is the queen of, of spontaneous <laughs> actions, okay? And, you know, I didn't know that part yet, you know, about Miss Cindy. And so I show up very innocently, and I'm sitting in the front row, and I'm thinking I'm just going to hold her, you know, her flyers or whatever. And she gets up there and says, she starts talking for a while, and then she says, I have a young lady here who's going to stand up here and tell you a little bit of her story. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking around like, oh, who? <laughs> you know, did she bring someone else? And so, I mean, I, my heart went in my feet, and I'm, I'm, you know, breathing a mile. I just, oh, my gosh, I was so scared. And, and, but I went up there. And I must have talked for like 30 seconds. Like, I'm, I don't even remember what I said. Probably something very simple. You know, I was messed up. I didn't know the Lord. And I got pregnant and now I have a son. Thank you. <laughs> or something like that. So, um, but Cindy told me afterwards, I did a good job. Those kids were looking at me when I was talking and everything. And she said, you know, man, and she goes, the Lord told me to do that. I didn't do that because I was trying to be mean. I said, okay. And um, she said, the, the youth in your generation are going to listen to you more than they will an adult because they're going to relate to you more. And I said, you know, that's true. Because, you know, I was their age, you know. And um, and so that just started ministry. So for the next three years, I would travel around with her, different schools and, and, and churches and all this different stuff, and I would tell my testimony. So by the time three, you know, years went by, I mean, I had a long testimony. You know, I had different ways of telling it. You know, I was very comfortable in front of people. Um, the last time I was ever in front of a really big group, um, I, I don't know, there was like at least 500 students there. It was a school somewhere two hours away. And I remember just being there. I'm like, okay, God, you know, I pray every time I get up there. How should I say this? What parts of my testimony should I say? Stuff like that. And he said, this group, I want you to be real with them. Because there's lots of adults that get up there and speak down. Just get on their level. And so I went up there. There were other speakers before me. And they were, you know, standing up there with the microphone. And I, you know, I got up there and I said, you know, can I be real with y'all? And they kind of looked at me like, okay. And I sat down on the stage. And a lot of them weren't looking at first. And they were looking at this, this girl sitting on the stage, you know. And I just talked to them. And I told them my testimony in the third person. You know, once upon a time there was a girl. You know, and I started talking about her. And in the end, I said, you know, and now I'm this and I'm that. And Cindy said you could hear the gasp all in the room because they didn't realize I was talking about me. And when it was all over, uh, they were just coming up to me. One girl said, can I just hug you? And I, I knew it was for her. She, you know, she didn't tell me anything in her life. She didn't say, I've been through what you've been through, nothing. She just wanted to hug me. So, but um, in that three years, I was really able to um, really pour into my generation. So, so you hugged her, and um, you 
feel a transfer of God's love mm -hmm. going into her yeah. through that, that spiritual transition, yeah. transfer. Now, let me ask you about two weeks, you really sang and said, hey, this works. Mm -hmm. and, and you could experience it, feel it, and everybody said, hey, something different. Then two months, God opens the door for you to give your testimony. Right. And, and so do you, after one year, uh, wasn't there, didn't you notice a progression of your love relationship with Christ becoming stronger? Did you, any during that period of one year, experience or any temptation to draw back? That no. None. There was no. none. There was no. no, because I knew what I had found was what I would be looking for for years. You know, it's something I didn't want to go away from. That's the one thing. Once you give your life to Jesus, you're, I mean, when you really do and you experience his love, you'll never go back. <laughs> It's like, why go? There's nothing there. There's nothing to go back to. And I didn't want to step out of his presence ever. He was just everything to me. Okay. So I mean, I was very happy. So now, okay, three years later, uh, you and Cindy, uh, you're not... What happened next? Well, I, um, you know, toward the, the last year of my ministry and what I was doing with her, I would talk a lot about how I was not dating. You know, I was waiting for God's best. Mm -hmm. And I had... I had um, settled second best my whole life, you know, and I, I talked a lot about Satan's counterfeit and how all throughout the Bible and everything, he, all, he can never duplicate what God does because he's not God. And because he wants to be God, he'll always come up with a counterfeit that looks as good as what God has, but in the end it leads to death. It's, it's nothing compared to what God has. And so I would talk on that a lot. And, um, and tell them how, you know, I, I'm waiting, you know, waiting for God's best. And I had a lot of different reactions. I had girls tell me I was stupid. You know, that's so dumb. You're just going to wait around for God to bring you somebody? That's, like, so dumb. And I'd say, no, it's not. I said, I believe that I could be in the middle of the desert <laughs> somewhere, you know, and, and if it's my time to meet my husband, he'll be the one that comes by on a horse to give me water. It's just, you can't mess up God's plan. You can delay it for a while, but you can't mess up God's plan. God's plan is always going to come through, and I knew he had somebody for me. I just really believed that. And I would tell everybody else that, too, that God created one person for you. You need to wait and don't settle. You know, wait for that one person. It's going to be worth it. And um, it's funny because I wish I could bump into some of those people again because uh, I was working at Sam's Club, you know, right here in Slidell, the cashier, um, and there was a woman that I had been trying to witness to that was over there, and uh, she had teenage daughters, and I was trying to get her to bring her girls to Passion Security, you know, and she, she was totally opposite of everything that, you know, I was, like, she believed in abortion, she, you know, she wasn't a Christian, you know, I was trying to witness to her the best I could, and we always clashed, and um, one day, she comes up to my register, and she says, Amanda, she goes, that's my brother, and there was, you know, a guy in my line. He, he had just got off of work. It looked like him and another guy were standing there, and he was filthy, you know, because I guess they did construction. That was my guess. And so she goes, he's a Jesus freak like you are. <laughs> and I remember going, oh, my gosh. And she said, well, I just want to introduce you to And I'm thinking, are you serious? I was just getting over the flu. I looked horrible. <laughs> my hair was in a bun. You know, I couldn't talk right yet. You know, you get all stuffed up. And I had my medicine and my cough drops and all that right underneath my register and everything. And I'm thinking okay, you know, I'll, I'll, I got to meet him, he's in my line, you know, so he went through the line, and he was real nice, you know, he shook my hand and everything, and then um, that, that woman walked away, you know, she left, and, um, and he, he started asking me about passion security, and, and he wanted to bring his nieces, he's like, maybe I can get them to come, 
And I said, well, that would be great, you know. And so we didn't say too, too much, you know, he, and then he left. But I remember him when he was walking out the door, I turned back to look, and I usually don't do that. And he turned back and he smiled at me. And for weeks, I couldn't get him out of my head. Mm. And I remember going home and praying, God, something's wrong. Like, I really got upset. I'm like, make him get out of my head, God. <laughs> something's wrong here. And I'm sure he's up there laughing, you know, going, okay, this is me, <laughs> you know. And so um, later on, you know, my he, he ended up being my husband. But he'll tell you the same thing was happening to him. He had got saved about a year before that. And so uh, he couldn't stop thinking about me either. He couldn't figure it out, and he was fighting God on it too because he was just happy being single and he just wanted to be in love with Jesus and, you know, stuff like that. So um, he brought the girls to Tasha Purity a couple weeks later, and uh, they only came once. They didn't like it, you know, because they, they were very into the, the world and their friends remind me a lot of me. And so, but he um, just started calling me, you know, and he just, we got to know each other and met at a coffee house, you know, and then... Um, he said, I mean, he knew. The second time that we went and did anything together, he knew I, he wanted it proposed to me. So he figured I'd say no. <laughs> or my dad would say no. He'd go, I don't think so. <laughs> Way too soon kind of thing. But, you know, we, because we had prepared ourselves, you know, we were, I, I mean, I knew Jesus' voice over anybody else's, you know, and so did he. And so I, I knew one day that when I met my husband, I would know. And that's what I always prayed for. You know, I'd say, I don't know how I'm going to know, you know, God, because it hasn't happened yet. But I want to know. I want to know that I know that's him. I don't want any confusion. I want confirmations from everybody in my life. You know, that's another thing, too. If you're seeing somebody and you believe that's the person for you, but, you know, you either have godly parents, godly friends, whatever, and they're praying, too, and they're getting a bad feeling about it, or it, you need to stop because that's what they're there for. They're there for confirmation and to build you up, you know, and if they're not getting a good feeling about it, then you need to step back and really go back into prayer again and say, you know, maybe I was wrong, you know, kind of thing. Because I've seen a lot of Christian couples, you know, get married, but they weren't met, and they ended up with a lot of problems later on because they didn't listen to anybody around them. Like, no one agreed with it, but they got married anyway. Mm. But, um, yeah, I met him, and we just, it, I met him in, it was right after 9-11. It was like two, three weeks after 9-11. And um, I met him then. Um, we got engaged in December like two months later and we got married in April wow. and I don't everybody's story is different I was 24 years old 23 24 years old at the time he was 27 28 we were very very ready you know God knew the place where we were at you know and so when it happened it's just it's just so God and I'm like I know this is it and even my dad said you know you can marry him right and for my dad to say that it was a big deal <laughs> so um yeah we got married in April of 2002 um, so y'all both attend Living Word. Mm -hmm. Where yeah. was he attending before? He was going to White Dove Fellowship. And his name is Brant. Mm -hmm. Brant Matsky. And what's the name of your business? New Creation Vinyl Siding. And somebody needs their vinyl siding or something related to that. Does he do gutters and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, he does. I mean, he does porches, screened-in porches. He'll do. Um, he's doing metal buildings now too. He just got into a new branch off of the business, so. He okay. can do all that. You does know? he have a flyer or anything? Um, he does. He should be. Actually, if you, I think if you Google or something you and you Google look up a siding, Louisiana, sure. he should come up. Okay. What's his phone number? 985-290-2389. Uh, okay. Nine eight five two nine zero two three eight nine. Two three eight nine. And that's 
What's the name of the business again? New Creation Vinyl Siding. New Creation Vinyl Siding. So if anybody needs any type of uh, work done on siding or exterior work done for their mm -hmm. home, uh, give uh, Brant Matsky a call. And you should hear... 985-290-2389. You should hear this testimony. I mean, people, our wedding was such a major... Uh, testimony to God's restoration power for his family and everything because I mean, his past is worse than mine. He used to deal drugs in New Orleans. Okay. I mean, my husband has a <laughs> absolutely amazing well, he's next. testimony. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, if there, in, in, in conclusion of uh, our time here in your testimony, Amanda, what would be some final thoughts that you'd like to share? Um, just my heart and my passion is to see this generation turn to what's real. You know, finding a life in Jesus and all that he has stored up for him, and then train and equip them to win others for Christ. You know, that's, that's what I want to see. I want to see a lot of the, I'm tired of walking through the mall and just seeing the same thing that I was. Just dead zombies just walking by. Just, they have no life, they have no, they're empty. And you can see it. And they want answers. And I'm tired of seeing that. You know, I want to see life. And I want to see, you know, these kids rise up and everything. That's so why I'm so proud of, you know, my son, Anthony, that, I mean, at 12 years old, he makes this video. And he's got 8,000 views all over the world that people have seen, you know, and he's being a voice. Because, you know, there's a reason why you're here. There's a plan for your life. There's a, you're not here by accident. There's a reason why you're here. And um, God has a different plan for everybody. And if you don't speak up, you know, you, you're wasting, what, you know, your life. You're wasting the reason why you're here. Everybody has a calling to do something. And so he is reaching out to his generation on being a voice. You just need to stand up for what you believe in. Get educated and stand up for what you believe in. And um, that's what I've been doing for years. <laughs> so you're homeschooling uh, Anthony now. Mm -hmm. And you're busy with that, busy with your church. And uh, that's pretty much busy being a wife, a mother. Uh, that's pretty much pretty busy person. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to thank you for the time we've had together at PJ's Coffee House. The Lord's uh, made it so that we could really uh, have no interruptions that I know of. And so we want to close this out. And I want to thank you again, Amanda. Uh, we're going to take a break and uh, then I'm going to see if I can talk to Anthony a little bit. Okay. Okay. So thank you. Thank you.